Welcome to Movies Charles Hasn't Seen, episode 88. My name is Grossman. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. Each week, Wilson and I share a classic movie we have seen with Charles that he hasn't seen. This week, we watched the 1990 movie Goodfellas. So, Charles, tell us about it. Okay, so the main character strives to join uh, the Italian mob and uh, starts doing work for, the, work for them as a little kid uh, and kind of works his way up and gains some close friends um, and uh, becomes like more closely entangled with their operations. Um, but eventually he gets addicted to drugs uh, when he like tries to make more money off of selling cocaine. Um, and one of his friends gets killed because he was angry and uh, <laughs> killed a made man. Um, and so they kind of have a falling out and he ends up ratting out uh, the main members of the mob. Yeah, and now he has to live like a schmuck. And he has to live like, it was a schnook, I think? A schnook. Yeah, he's a schnook now. <laughs> <laughs> this one, this was your pick, Russell. Why, why Goodfellas? I guess that's kind of a silly question. This yeah, is. this is an easy yeah. pick. It's one of the... It, it always gets floated as like a top five or ten movie. It, yeah, I'm not... You're right, it does. Yeah. And like, oh, I think a lot of people would say this is their favorite uh, gangster movie, probably their favorite Scorsese movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's kind of necessary viewing. It's yeah, and people really like this movie. And it's good. It, it is good. Yeah, I like it too. I like Casino more. I said that in our Casino. Which is surprising. Yeah. Um, but the, like the more is because I've been watching Scorsese for a long time, and like I think the older I get, the further this movie falls down in my Scorsese rankings. Yeah. Like I'm not sure if it's top five Scors for Scorsese for me anymore. Hmm. I think. Um, I, I find Casino stylistically more appealing, and I find the main De, De Niro character like more sympathetic. Yes, uh, that's certainly true. Whereas everyone here is kind of a jerk and deserves like what happens to them. Right, which yeah. is, again, kind <laughs> yeah. of the point of the movie. Um, but, but it's fascinating. It's it's an interesting model. Again, like Scorsese is kind <clears throat> of playing on the like generational story um, yeah. of, of the mob and... Um, it, it's also an interesting kind of like outsider story because this is someone who's like never going to be a mob boss because of his uh, you know, genetics and so it's just kind of about like a, a bit player in, a wise in guy. the mob yeah um, I mean it, it, it's yeah. compared to Godfather obviously and a lot and yeah. it's kind of it's the inverse of that movie right whereas yeah is the Godfather's like this operatic, you know, high-level, complex yeah. kind of morality tale. It's, you know, it's very much a crime-doesn't-pay kind of story. Yeah. This movie is the opposite of that, right? Like, it's a day in the life, right? Like, the plotting is really loose, and it feels it's, like a hangout movie a lot of the time. It's tracking Fredo. It's like, yeah. if, <laughs> if the main character in Godfather was Fredo, that's, yeah. that's who it's tracking. Right. And it, it kind of is that. He's like a dumb guy. He, like, mm -hmm. betray he betrays his uh, family. For like, uh, obvi like yeah. very like the obvious, moment he's in trouble. stupid reasons. Yeah. 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 The, the sec first chance he gets. <laughs> yeah, just to like try and make a few more bucks on the side. Right. Uh, and they explicitly yeah. tell him not to do exactly the thing that he then turns around and yeah. does. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then he flips on everyone. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of this one, Charles? Uh, I really did not like this one. Really? Which, really? Okay. I mean, I, I hear such unanimous praise for this movie <laughs> oh, everywhere yeah. I go. And so yeah. I found it very confusing. I just don't understand why people like this movie so much. I just, you, I don't know, maybe I just don't like this genre of film. You're also not a huge fan of Casino, if I recall correctly. Probably not, no, I don't yeah. think so. I yeah. just, I don't know. I find all these movies to be so similar to each other and like the character type seems so similar. <laughs> and especially having seen Casino first, like this seems so similar to that considering you have both Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci playing almost the same character in both. And I don't know, it just felt like more of the same. I never got like caught up in the story and so I just felt really bored the whole time and then I got kind of annoyed that they thought I'd be interested enough to watch this for three hours and like <laughs> that was where I'm at where I'm at with this movie I, I don't love this movie like some people do but I, I do think it's a, a good movie I, I think it's well told I think the Joe Pesci tour de force is here mm -hmm. um, that early scene where he's like telling me why I'm funny is terrifying yeah mm -hmm. Um, a classic for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he had those two good scenes where it was that and the one where he shoots the, like, 
the spider dude, the, the helper guy. Later yeah. referenced in The Sopranos. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, because that, that guy, seen. the guy that gets shot, is a major character in Sopranos. There's a okay. lot of Sopranos actors. But like in half this the movie. cast of The Sopranos is in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're also in like all the other gang films because they're like the most prominent Italian-looking actors, right? Right. <laughs> but it'll be especially this one. Like there are so many Sopranos alum, or eventual Sopranos alum. Yeah. I just. In this I don't movie. know. My problem is I find that Joe Pesci like character archetype to be really annoying. Right, and it was the same in Casino, where it's like, oh, he's insecure, and he's gonna bash your face in. Great, like, and then he gets shot. Like, okay, yeah. <laughs> like, I just found it super annoying. Wow, that, that is, I think, the iciest review of this movie I've ever heard. And I've, I've certainly heard negative reviews of Goodfellas before. But yeah, yeah, that is that is certainly the most hostile. And um, like, so it, I get that this movie is supposed to be kind of like a tragic, like rise and fall sort of tale. It's mm-hmm. a true story. Or too. That's like, yeah, yeah, and that's how I always hear it described, but I didn't find Ray Liotta's, like, rise and fall to be very interesting. So at least Casino had that going for where he, like, rose to, like, reasonable heights within the crime family before they, like, overextended their bounds and fell over, right? But, like, I felt like Ray Liotta's character never amounted to that much in this movie. He, like, kind of gets in with Robert De Niro's character, who's not even fully in the in the crime gang anyway. Mm-hmm. And... Like, as far as he gets is, like, making money, running drugs on his own. Uh, and then everything starts to fall apart. But it's, like, it never really felt like, you know, he rose to great heights. And so it never really felt like a tragic fall. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. that's part of the point, though, right? Is that yeah. It's supposed to be, like, this ground-level view of organized crime, right? Like, mm-hmm. that, we're, that it's not the Godfather, right? We're not talking about the leaders of this organization. We're talking about, like, the people that treat it like a day, a day job. Mm-hmm. And that... At the time, like that was a pretty novel thing, like because the the standard. I mean, the standard for gangster movies is still The Godfather, but it was really the standard then because there's not, really nothing to compare it against mm-hmm. in modern cinema. Yeah, and so I, I think there's a bit of like a Seinfeld effect thing going on here, where like this the Seinfeld is not funny effect, right? Where like you you'd seen all that stuff before, yeah, because Seinfeld it, it you know created the model and I, I think yeah. Goodfellas kind of did a similar thing where like they, yeah. they created the model and there's a lot of bad knockoffs. Um, yeah, so I probably need to see this first. It feels unoriginal. Scorsese's also done <clears throat> variations of this movie many times. Yeah. And if you've seen the other ones like you you have you like you do get it. You're not getting yeah. like something remarkably different. Which yeah. I think is what you heard saying, Charles. Was like, yeah. It's like, very similar to Casino. Even elements of um, the Boston one or Departed. Departed. Departed yeah, are, Casino are felt similar. so similar to this one. Yeah. You have the yeah. guy, they, they do crime stuff and you see how <laughs> bad they are and then he gets a woman and then he's bad to the woman and then things fall apart. It's yeah. like, it's the same thing. Yeah, well, in this one, it kind of fits into a trilogy for Scorsese where you have this movie, Casino, and Wolf of Wall Street, I think, is number three. Yeah, the, like, true, and, true crime. Right, well, and I think that what, like, when you take those three together, what you end up with is Goodfellas, completely illegitimate, right? Like, they're just out-and-out criminals. Casino splits the difference, where he starts out kind of like a small-time criminal, tries to go legitimate, doesn't work out that well. And Wolf of Wall Street, where it's essentially legal, or quasi-legal the entire time that he's doing it. But nonetheless, the, the arc is the same, and our mm-hmm. feelings toward these characters is, is the same. So I, I like how this movie fits in with those other two. And I like that the, the larger message there, that it's not about whether or not we decide this thing is illegal. Like, there are terrible actions throughout society on every, uh, across the spectrum of legality, and that, that mm-hmm. whether or not it's legal isn't important. Um, but again, yeah, especially with Casino, I think it does feel relatively similar. Um, to this movie. I, I think it also falls into the <clears throat> making bad things look cool unintentionally. Oh, I, yeah. I don't think it's unintentional. I, I think yeah. that I think that Scorsese has a lot of control over his craft and he knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. Um, and that he, he is... It's. I, I think you see it even more clearly with Wolf Wall Street, but it's here too. Like, we know that these guys are supposed yeah. to be scummy, right? And just like mm-hmm. your, Charles, your reaction is the perfect example of that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're not being seduced by these guys, right? <laughs> like, yeah. there's nothing here that says, like, I want to be like this. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that Scorsese does make that clear. That it does feel like Scorsese is like, hey, like, this is pretty cool. Like, these guys are cool. Right, but he's <laughs> also saying these guys are assholes and murderous and evil, yeah. right? And I think that that is really... We talked about this when we talked about Casino, too. That I think that that is what he's really trying to say, is that you should not be drawn in by this. Yes, it is seductive, and yes, you can see why someone would be captured by this world, yeah. but they're wrong, and they're evil. And 
I, I think there are many hints mm-hmm. about that throughout the film. And that it's our responsibility as a culture to punish them, right? Like that if you're upset that it, that Henry Hill thinks that living like, you know, a basic middle class lifestyle is a horrible punishment, like it's up to the society to punish him better. Well, right? I mean, thankfully, at least the, the real like <laughs> bosses all get real punishments, it seems. Right. I mean, they but, all like died in prison, I think. Yes. Or yeah. at the time the film was made, some of them were in prison and are probably dead now. <laughs> yeah, because I know Robert, I looked up Robert De Niro's character yeah. and, you know, it said in the movie after that he was going to be up for parole in 2004. And I'm yeah. like, oh, you know, that, what that's already happened. But he yeah. died like in the late 90s, I think, oh, there you in go. prison. So much for parole. Yeah. So, yeah. But, I mean, Hill is still a scumbag, right? Like, yeah, he killed yeah. a whole bunch of people. He abused his wife, he cheated on his wife, he sold dangerous drugs, like, he trafficked weapons, right? Like, he's a dangerous, horrible criminal, and he should be in jail, right? Like, we're not better off. Although his version of weapon trafficking looked a little comical. I mean, it, he it just was. just walking around with guns in, like, a, a brown guns, paper yeah. bag. Right, I mean, so was his, his drug trade, right? Like, yeah. He, he, they were tracking him for months, they said, and he had no idea. <laughs> he made very little effort to conceal it. He, he hired a bunch of other drug addicts to... To run its operation, like this wasn't yeah. a high level kind of thing. It's funny how they're like, this crime is also like very easy. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, like, you got caught yeah. pretty quickly after you started yeah. doing it. <laughs> they just have like union guy connections, so that they know like whenever something's <laughs> going to show up, and they just like walk onto a place, take the truck, and leave. And it was yeah. like, yeah, yeah this is, You'd think they catch no, on like, after, like, the second truck got taken? There's, yeah. there's no, like, heist movie here. Yeah. Like, yeah. There was a heist, and they don't even show any of it. Yeah, like, yeah. that's, yeah, that's not what's important here. Yeah. <laughs> the heist is really just taking the thing and leaving. Like, and I think that, like, Scors- the, if there's one point where you want to critique Scorsese's perspective here, is that he clearly thinks that stealing stuff isn't really that bad, but... That selling drugs is. Right? He's very anti-drug. Yes. Uh, and th- that's true through all of, mm-hmm. all of these movies. Um, he always makes the drug users look ridiculous. He makes yeah. them look really bad. And it's always like the inflection point. Like when things like go really wrong is like when they get like hooked on drugs. Yeah. In, in, in a lot of his movies. And it's like, this is weird like 80s like anti-drug message that he's like yeah. on. Cause the, but, yeah, that was the case in Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. It was, it's the case here in Goodfellas. Yeah. Um, Casino too, his, his uh, yeah. wife, like yeah, when right. things like go really wrong. But these are like, like true stories, aren't they? Yeah. Or does he embellish that detail of it? I mean, I, I don't know how true these stories are or not, um, but the, it, the tone that he is striking and the way that he's telling the story certainly emphasizes this the drugs as the as the breaking point. You see that like that's how Scarface works. Yeah, that's even in Godfather, right? Like when when uh, Corley or when Don Corleone gets up there and says like This is the thing we can't do. We can't sell drugs. This is where we, where it goes wrong." Like that was the the breaking point for him too, and really like the divide between him and Michael. And the Chris the really. mob boss too in this movie has the same speech where it's <clears> yeah. like, "Yep, can't do can't do drugs." It's like what separates us from like the. Street criminals. Uh, so that's kind of what's implied. Yeah. yeah, yeah although what yeah. It, the, the Paul, it, Paulie in this movie, like his reasoning is that I don't want to go to jail forever. Like the punishment for, <laughs> for selling drugs is so much more severe. Yeah, because the 80s. That I don't want to be involved. Are, like, right. Yeah. It, it wasn't anything about oh I don't want to be selling drugs because they're bad. It's yeah. I don't want to carry this terrible punishment, <laughs> which is different. Because he totally would otherwise, right? Yes. It's, so, it's I, so profitable. I think that's exactly the implication. That's different than what. Don Corleone would do in mm-hmm. yeah, in The Godfather. Um, so yeah, I think that you're you're right. That Scorsese has really has kind of an old man drug hang up um, that you know is to be expected with a guy this age. Yeah, I mean, all these guys probably were coke addicts in in real life. Like I don't yes. doubt I don't doubt that. So and I'm sure that it it did lead to poor decision making. But they're already like murderers. So like you know what. Yeah, it's not worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's far less worse, actually. Yeah. Although now I think of it, and to um, to I guess push back on that idea a little bit, this movie does do the like three months earlier, to, or really fifteen years earlier type of thing, where yeah, it opens. fucking flashback. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it, it opens the, the with the model them. for <laughs> mob movies. <laughs> Literally yeah. every single mob movie yeah. does that. And I'm usually really down on that that mode of organizing film. Like I think that you should start your movie when it starts. Don't give me this dumb thing that I have to like work towards and like look forward to the entire movie. Just like show me what's going on in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's interesting where Scorsese chose to do that, right? Because he wasn't leading up to like 
one of them getting shot, right? Or like some major narrative turning point in the film, right? What he was leading up to was random murder mm-hmm. that really is cast as something, a very, as a very evil act, right? Like he has them bathed in this red light, they're on the side of the road. There's, like Yeah, there's a religious... Yes. Mo- it's like a religious moment. Like they're they're in hell already. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and narratively that wasn't that critical of a point. Wasn't that right. technically kind of the turning point of the movie though? And in in the sense that when you look back on it, like that's the guy that ended up getting Pesci killed. Yeah. But in terms of like, you normally I think when you see those kinds of bits in movies where it's like, oh, we're gonna go back to this part of the that we showed you at the beginning of the movie, it's like a really high tension moment. Yeah. Right. So you see, like, they're in the middle of the bank robbery, or like this guy's about to get shot, or whatever. Yeah. And here, it's not a high tension. car blows up. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And this is not a high tension moment. What he's going back to is really just like them slaughtering this helpless man. And I think it's kind of that awkward aftermath, and he's kind of sitting in the car, like, "What have we done?" Yeah. It's not even the the initial hit on the guy, right? Like, it's the the cleanup. And I think that that is important that he chooses to go back to really what is the moral turning point of the movie and not necessarily the plot-based turning point of the movie. And I, I think that it worked from there. Because mm-hmm. I, I think that he managed to do that, use that technique effectively um, in a way that most stories don't. And mm-hmm. the, the rule really should be to not do that you know, unless you're Martin Scorsese. Well, what's the effectiveness <laughs> of showing it first? That's the thing, right? Like right. You, you, you indicate with the importance <laughs> of that moment, but I still don't understand what the benefit of showing that first is. Because what I mean, you... Would normally see is the the most important plot moment. Yeah. Right. And here, and he's saying that what we're focusing on and what we're building up to isn't a plot moment, uh-huh. but a moral moment. Okay. Right. And I think that that is important. That if you understand it within the context of that technique in other films, what he's saying is like this is the important thing that you should be focusing on, not the when the guy is actually shot, not when Joe Pesci is hit, not when you know Ten Hill flips or starts doing drugs or whatever. Like, that's not the important moment. The important moment is when they slaughter a man pleading for his life in the back of their I, car. I think it also, because they, they, they open the, the trunk and then they, like, they're, like, stabbing him with a butcher's yeah. knife and they, like, shoot him. Shoot and, like, times. I think one thing it also does is it shows, like, this is, this, like, it shows the level at which they're, like, willing to go in the movie. Like, right. as a movie, it's, like, Oh, this is a very violent. This is going to be a very violent movie, and we're yeah. starting off very at that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. that's, that's it. sets a tone. It's I, kind of a horror film technique. Yeah, right? yeah. And I, I think since it's since it's like a, a look back at like someone's life, I think it's also trying to remind people that like this is what this person is capable of, and it like it got them to like all these like little like cute moments when he's like a young kid and kind of being indoctrinated to the to the mafia. That you need to keep in mind also that he's like also involved in a like pretty horrific murder, and the <clears throat> it's important to like remember that. All this because yeah. he felt like yeah. he wanted to belong somewhere. Yeah, he always he yeah. wanted to be a gangster. Right? Yeah, like that's the that's the opening line. You know, uh, people always cite that opening line. They're always like, "Oh, that's one of the best opening lines I've ever heard." And I I saw it and I'm just like, "Yep, that's a line." I mean, I, I think it works here because um, so much about what. What Hill is, or what the, the, the other character here is, is about wanting to posture as somebody who is powerful and rich and in control of his destiny and dominating the space around him. And like that is exactly what that's saying. It's like, I want to be a gangster means I want it to be able to ignore all the rules and do whatever I want all the time. Like That's how he mm-hmm. defines what that means. So in that sense, I think it's really... I like that it's so punchy, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, it just states exactly what this movie's about right off the bat. Um, so I think it works for me. I think it's a, I think it's a solid opener. Yeah. Um, the other famous moment in this movie um, is the long oneer from outside the Copacabana down the stairs into the kitchen, out onto the dance floor, and he sets up the table there. And that's like probably the most famous shot in Scorsese's career. Really? <laughs> yeah. So, so many moving pieces. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, like, if you watch it with that in mind, like, knowing that it's coming, it's very impressive. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very tough to orchestrate That's the all that. hard part with one shots, because I didn't realize it was happening mm-hmm. uh, until, like, you're describing it to me now, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, and it is famous for that. It's, like, the, that POV shot for most of the time. And yeah, the only, like, more complicated one is the one in um, Snake Eyes. 
which like okay, it's yeah. a Nick Cage movie. It start it's at a boxing match, and he like starts out um, at the stadium, like behind, like he's just in like kind of the <coughs> offices area, like behind all the like thing. Mm-hmm. He walks all the way down. He like interacts with all these people, and then he walks out onto the floor and there's a boxing match happening and it's like a one shot all the way down they had some like tricky edits that are actually there but it's it's still like technically very impressive and the best part of that movie the rest of the movies yeah i found that (laughs) these days i haven't noticed that they're one shot until after it's over and i have to go back and rewatch it again that happened with uh the the mission impossible fallout movie yeah uh because when they when they jump out of the airplane they have that really long really awesome action scene where uh Henry Cavill like gets knocked out by yeah. the lightning bolt. That was all a one-shot scene, but I didn't realize until like after the scene happened and I started processing. I was like, wait, there was no, there were no cuts there. <laughs> no cuts. Holy yeah. shit! And then I like paid attention the second time through, and it was really awesome. Yeah, that was a good like traditional use of a, of a one, right? Like yeah. that increases tension. Like that's what it's that's yeah. what they're for. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, that that one worked. Really the Snake Eyes well. one is worth watching. It's on YouTube, I'm sure. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, the other one. It's that, the longest one. It's like 13 minutes or something. Oh wow, 13 minutes long. Something like that. Yeah. Wow. That's a long time. Yeah. Okay. Like, and a lot of like important stuff happens, and, and it, it like really sets up the movie. Okay. Yeah. The, the one I think of is an atonement, like when it's after I think it's after D Day. I think it was World War Two, and there's like this long, long shot where one of the characters is like walking through the aftermath, and they're like they have all like these medics and people running around and like tending to the wounded, and like there's still an explosion every now and then from a latent bomb, and like you're following it all the way through, and then it ends with this really wide shot where you just see like fields of dead people um, after this battle. So they, that is the, a well-known one that I... I haven't seen that one. It's, yeah. it's fine. Um, like the movie's fine. But that, <laughs> yeah. that shot of, works. Is it also by Brian De Palma? He, he did, no, uh, he did no. Snake Eyes. So. No, it, it's yeah. not. Um, but yeah, the, this one in Goodfellas is also really well-known. Um, and I think effective here. And really, like, it exemplifies how just how good of a filmmaker Scorsese is, right? Like, you can say what you like about the characters in this movie and whether or not that stuff worked for you, but, like, as a film, like, this is just really good fundamental filmmaking um, front to back. Like, he, he does so many things that shouldn't work, and he makes them work. Like, the constant use of voiceover shouldn't work as well as it does. The dumb flashback forward thing shouldn't work as well as it was. does. Like, the this is not a typical use of a one-shot, right, where, like, it's typically in an action scene or, like, increases tension. That yeah. Kind of thing. He but, skips, like, all the big action of the movie. There's, like, not, yeah. there's not, there's, like, no crazy, like, shootout or anything. Yeah, none of that. Yeah. Yeah, like, the, like yeah. The, the, the major plot point is, like, they have this Lufthausen heist where they steal all this money from at the airport. Happens totally off screen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you never see it. <laughs> and it's, like, the most important thing. Yeah. And, like, you ne- literally never see well, it. Well, the aftermath is what's important. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that Scorsese can identify that, mm-hmm. I think, speaks really highly of how, how well he understands how film functions and how well it, er, and how it affects the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- this movie is, I think, a great example of that. Yeah. yeah. Um... <laughs> Hank Hill in real life was apparently a bit of a dumbass. Where he's kind of a dumbass in the movie too. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, so that's true to life. And like they would, um, <laughs> when he was in um, witness protection, he would get drunk and like brag to people that he was like in witness protection. Awesome, nice. Yeah. So they had to move him like a number of times, and eventually they were just like, "If you do it again, we're not gonna move you." Yeah, like, they had they had killed. to like ultimatum him. Like, that's yeah. funny. Oh my god. Yeah, and his wife apparently like left him shortly after like the events of yeah, that's movie, in the, and she the just thing. like went home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's another um, Sopranos alum, right? Like the Lorraine Bracco. Yeah, yeah. Um, is the have you seen Sopranos, Charles? No. Okay, it's great. Holds up really well. Um, but she's the therapist in Sopranos. They originally wanted her for the Edie Falco role yeah. for for Tony's wife, and she turned it down because she thought it would be too similar to this movie. Mm. She's uh, probably right about that. Yeah. And, and the therapist is kind of the uh, she's a great like framing device around. Oh, the she's, whole yeah. The show. character's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that show. I I, yeah. I also like. I think that, like, the Sopranos' relationship with Goodfellas and The Godfather, again, kind of uh, exemplifies the differences between these two movies, right? Because the w- Goodfellas is, like we talked about, very much the hangout movie. It's about, like, how gangsters are still kind of stupid sometimes, about how <laughs> they can fuck up, about how they're not that loyal. And The Godfather is about how they're basically royalty and they're, like, you know, a Roman Empire. And you see <laughs> in... 
Sopranos, them referencing The Godfather a lot more often, right? Like, they're, they're like, literally quoting lines from The Godfather at each other. They're, like, bringing it up all the time. They're saying how they're, they are like characters in The Godfather. Mm -hmm. They very rarely reference Goodfellas. But Sopranos is much more similar to Goodfellas, or at least the people in it are much more similar to the people in Goodfellas. Yeah. And I think that that's important, right? Because they <clears> want to be like the Godfather, exactly. but they are like the Goodfellas. But they're actually like the wise guys, right? And I think <laughs> well, that that's really interesting and, and well-spotted. I've heard this discussed in another podcast, but I, I thought it was really, a good point, so I'll, I'll bring it back here, that like, ultimately it seems like the sort of Goodfellas-style story is that like, really these characters like <coughs> don't want to work they kind of just want to like hang out and like be friends which is exactly what happens in Sopranos yeah right all they yeah. do is they spend their whole day at a fucking strip club yeah that's, that's the bulk just like <laughs> hang out and the reason they do crime is so they can just like hang out Continue with, to hang do out with their can friends fund their hangout yeah, yeah. They, yeah. Just, they just want friends yeah <laughs> that, I mean that's true whereas it feels like because it's like a social club that's yeah and the, the, <laughs> the Godfather doesn't make that move right like the, for the Godfather it's about like Control. It's, about the, it's about the alienation of like right and the yeah. politics of it yeah. and about like the accumulation of power and like that whole thing and it's multi generational story about <clears throat> dynasties and, and immigration the, and all that yeah and it, yeah the experience for the individual criminal is probably much closer to Goodfellas just, just and hanging Sopranos out. just hanging out every now and then he robs somebody like <laughs> right when you yeah. run out of money yeah yeah, yeah. exactly and I think that that uh, this movie strikes that tone right it feels like a hangout movie. Yeah. Right, like the the plot is really loosely strung together. Like it jumps from, you know, moment to moment with not much connective tissue between the two of them. Like it it feels like this movie that's just like here's some stuff that happened and then I got fucked. Right, like that's, <laughs> that's which basically is like how it plays out. Yeah, and if you were. Henry Hill, you'd probably just remember it like that, right? Like, if you were yeah. telling your story to a biographer, biographer, you would just say, or, like... Or a dude he met at a bar when he got drunk. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. it's like, yeah, like, well, you know, we hung out and played cards, and then Joe Pesci shot somebody. Like, right, yeah. for, for no reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and that that's exactly what it feels and like. all they want to do is, like, go to nice restaurants, like, you know. Yeah. Or, um, oh, I love the, kind of later in the movie, when they're, like, He's kind of like made it at this point, or he's right. like more comfortable in like how tacky his yes. house is. Oh yes. god! And ev everything like they they have so little sense of style. It'd be out yeah. of style within like five years of the of them having it. Right. And, yeah. And that, I mean that's true of The Sopranos as well, right? Yeah. Like they live in this big dumb McMansion, right? Like they all wear tracksuits all the time. Yeah, they like play N sixty four. Right. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> I mean they play N sixty four in nineteen ninety. Oh, I played N sixty four, so it kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah, but it's like this like tacky like suburban activity, right? Like they're right. not like doing anything. Right? Yeah, and and I think that this nails this as well, and and yeah. that that's kind of a theme that you see in a lot uh, of gangster movies, right? Like they don't have any taste. I love the wall that opens up to reveal their TV. Yeah, speaking yeah. of no taste. Yeah. Oh my god! They, she has like a giant controller to like do that with. And, and they have and to like show off. Right? Yeah, and, and they're like, they're like, look like, at this. They're like, wow! Like the people who are like, they're like sincerely impressed by it. The wig salesman. Yeah. 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 And he's like, I got the most expensive Christmas tree too, and he comes in with the like the it's fake, like, the pure white, white, pure white Christmas tree. Yeah. Right. Right. And it, yeah, it's so much about like displaying that you have wealth. Right. Yeah. It's not about like what it actually gets you. It's not about what it bringing you any kind of pleasure. It's about yeah. being able to say yes, I have this amount. I mean, that's stuff. what happens when you buy the most expensive possible item in every like slot you right. try to fill into your house, and yeah. then none of it goes together. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's exactly yeah. what it's like. <laughs> You're right. And it, so I, I think that that really speaks to what's important to these characters, right? Like that it's not as opposed to in The Godfather where it's about exerting power and like control and here it's about just, just being able to buy tacky appearing shit. to have to have yeah. control by virtue of owning things yeah because yeah. when De Niro gets really mad at all the other guys because they buy expensive <laughs> stuff and they don't even have the money yet right they don't yeah. have he the hasn't distributed yet. it yeah. Yeah. yeah so they have to like, so they get them caught the one guy has a pink car the other one gets the fur coat yeah. for his wife yeah like, yeah. Yeah. It's like it, yeah. The the De Niro character should have been in The Godfather, right? Like yeah. He would have functioned a lot better in that yeah. world uh, than in than in this one. Uh, but let's talk about how this movie kind of fits into Scorsese's career because mm -hmm. this this came out in 1990 and it was kind of his first big hit, like big commercial hit. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. before this, he he mostly had a reputation as kind of being a weirdo art house, art house director, right? Because he had done. Uh, Last Temptation right before that. Which he's kind of gone back to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what he really wants to do. 
Yeah. And I, because you, you see him every once in a while, he'll crop up well, with he like. What, like, uh, what was it called? Silence? Silence, which was great. I fucking love Silence. That mm-hmm. movie was fantastic. Really hard to watch, and there's no way that that's going to play to, <laughs> to yeah. a big audience. It's a three hour movie about, like, yeah. the nature of faith. Right, uh-huh. like nobody wants to watch that, and, <laughs> and but you'll see him every once in a while. He'll make a Wolf of Wall Street. He'll make a Departed, and to, I don't know. He, I mean, he fun. knows how to make like a pop film. Like he's really so, good. at So he's it. like yeah. the gangsters in his movies, right? He just wants right. to hang out and make his art films, but sometimes you got to do a crime thing. Well, you you got to find him. People aren't writing yeah. giant checks to you know make silence. It so. took him so decades. It took him decades to get that movie made. He'd been yeah. wanting to make it for years and years, and he finally did, and it bombed. Right? Like nobody yeah. fucking went to see or it. Or what was um Hugo? Right? Yeah. It was the other like wacky one about like. I don't even know. It was about like filmmaking, I right, guess. Yeah, it was about, it was, like, like, that's, a, that's a Scorsese film. Yeah, yes. wasn't that like the pseudo animated one? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. With yeah. like the the creepy. It was the CG everything things. CGI child and like yeah, it was. It's about filmmaking, but who, who cares? It's really. Well, he made a movie about filmmaking. Huh? Yeah. 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 Sure. It's really like intricate for no reason and over long and yeah. <laughs> right, but if you listen to him talk about movies, like when when Scorsese decided. I don't mean this as a criticism, but when Scorsese decided to be a director, we lost one of the greatest film critics of all time. Because like, if you if you listen to him talk about film and like talk about what he considers the important films and like what you need in order to have like a firm background, like he has some deep deep cuts. Mm-hmm. Like he's talking about like, oh yeah, I saw I saw this, you know, nineteen thirties movie that came out in like three theaters four hundred times, right? <laughs> like, yeah, and like he'll he, Tarantino does the same thing, too. right? Like, but, but Tarantino does it with pulp movies yes. right like he's uh-huh. like he's like the video store guy whereas Scorsese is really concerned with our hearts movies like he'll go on and on and talk about how great Fellini is like, yeah. and stuff yeah. like that and like there's this list floating around out there where Scorsese compiled like 100 movies you should see to like understand film and most of them are pre-1950 and most of them are really hard to track down right like this, <laughs> this dude he's probably one of the most well-watched film viewers mm-hmm. in the world period yeah and it, yeah, I think you can see that in movies like Silence or King Comedy or Age of Innocence, and, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, well, he, he went, so he did, like, a string of uh, movies after Goodfellas, because he, like, kind of yeah. got pigeonholed as, like, the guy. Right. Um, I mean, he's from New York, he's Italian, he has an accent. Yeah, he yeah. Did, he started with Mean Streets. Yeah. Um, but they're all really good. Like, yeah. I, I like He's just a... Four, three to four of those movies. Yeah, because yeah, you're, you're talking about Goodfellas, uh, Casino, Casino, Departed, and Wolf of Wall Street. And Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I find it funny because I feel like I liked all the Scorsese films I saw before we started doing this podcast, and I've disliked all the ones that we've seen after. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, so well, you've seen a pretty good number of his stuff. Yeah. So like before point. the podcast, I watched. Let's see, what was it? Taxi Driver. It's one of his better ones. Um, yeah. The Departed. Wolf of Wall Street, The Aviator. Aviator's good too. I f- yeah, I forget that's a Scorsese movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't remember. It what feels it, like I think a, those are the ones. Like a Cameron movie, but uh, yeah, it does. Which one's yeah. your favorite? Uh, hard to say. Is it Taxi Driver? Probably. Yeah, Taxi yeah, Driver's a great movie. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, but after we've done this in Casino and was Gangs of New York Scorsese? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah and I don't. I think I liked any of these that much. That's that's interesting. I like Kings of New York a lot. Um, I think that that is an underappreciated Scorsese. I think I like it more than Goodfellas. I think it's an underappreciated Scorsese yeah, movie. I like it. I'm not like crazy about it. But yeah. yeah. What's your favorite Scorsese? Casino. Sure. Is it? Yeah. Just overall. I just, I just like it. I think it's like the most, for, to me, it's like the most watchable of, of his films. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. I mean, for me, it's Last Temptation. I love that movie. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty fucked up movie. So. <laughs> it really is. I, I got to see it in theaters a couple weeks ago. Yeah. For the first time, I've never seen it in theaters before. Yeah, that movie is still wild. It's still wild that they cast Harvey Keitel as Judas and, like, didn't have him change his accent. It's just like <laughs> Harvey Keitel and his, like, Bronx, Brooklyn accent out there in the middle of Israel in, you know, 80, 30. <laughs> it's just like, all right, sure. Um, I guess that's what he sounds like. <laughs> I want to go back real quick. Um, one thing that this movie does, it's like a little different than some of these other movies, is the the wife kind of like gets in on it like late yes. in the film, and you you kind of assume that she's just like an innocent victim in all this, and it turns out no, she's like she's helping to move coke. She becomes yeah. like a cokehead too. Yeah, she uh, seemed to be seduced her... by all this stuff from the very start, though. Yeah. Oh yeah, she, yeah. Yeah, she gets taken in immediately. Like that's kind of the point of that Cobra Cabana oh, one shot. I forgot yeah. too that they like all just all of a sudden she's a voiceover in it. 
See, that yeah, I like. Out of nowhere. I yeah, like that moment a lot. I forgot about it until you just mentioned it now, but I really <clears throat> like that moment because, like, Leota's got the voiceover the whole time, yeah. and then he's at the restaurant having a terrible time with this girl he's not talking to, and then her voiceover kicks in at that <laughs> yeah. moment, yeah. and I chuckled because I know what that means. I know that she's going to be important, that she's going to be his wife, but it's funny to see them start at that point where they're not talking at all and, like, hating each other. Yeah. That was really effective. He, he just, like, I love Leota in that scene, like, that he's just such a jackass, and he's just, like, looking at his watch and ignoring her. He, like, play, and he, like, carries her to her door and, like, leaves her there and Walks runs back away, to the yeah. car. Like, it, he, that, that scene cracks me up. He's such a jackass the whole yeah. time. Not even putting in any effort. Yeah. But as soon as she yells at him, he falls in love, I yes. guess. Yes, he does. Or something. Yeah. Leona's one of these like guys that looks like he's been taking HGH a lot now because he's like become in his later years one of these like big head guys where like oh, yeah. like <laughs> their head <laughs> seems to have like continued to grow and it's like it's really like, red all the time yeah yeah also he's supposed to be like twenty one or something like that he does not look part he, of the he, movie he looks older than that yeah he looks like forty yeah right. it, it's hard to tell a story though over right well, and so many decades really is just a weird looking guy yeah right he's like, a strange looking guy he, no one else looks like him he has like eyes he looks like he doesn't blink like he, <laughs> he right. i mean he's just a very specific look to, yeah. to leota i i think he's great here i but i can't think of like another leota film that i like he was uh, he's like awesome he was shoeless joe jackson and field of dreams yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> my first exposure to him was, was, a ghost. In, was in Grand Theft Auto Three, I think. Or no, no, uh, Vice City. He was the main character in Vice City. Yeah, he's the oh, voice. Oh yeah, he was. Yeah. That's true. The, the first uh, one that had any voice acting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's why I, I I tracked back and it wasn't GTA Three because the main character is silent in that one. Right, but yeah, it's his third uh, credit on his uh, IMDb. <laughs> his Vice City. Yeah, Vice City. So because nice. they always like feature like yeah. a, a known for, and Vice City is number three. <laughs> yeah, wasn't he in Blow? Was he was in some other mob movie where he plays the probably the lead character's dad, and it's like sad that his son is a mobster. He's in Young Sheldon. Oh okay. God! Great. Yeah. He, he needs those paychecks. Evidently, he had a brief cameo in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Okay. He played like a really weird and scary guy because that's kind of what he looks like. He is a weird and scary guy. Oh, he was the narrator for a good thirty for thirty. Okay, that, that's something. I mean, he has a he has a good voice. Yeah, he speaks well. Um, I like that he's the lead here. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I think it would have been easy to go with, like, the more known De Niro, who's who had worked with Scorsese several times before that, in in Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. Um, or or even Joe Pesci, like to, to center around them, but he kind of he cast not so much an unknown, but like a lesser known of the three of them as as the lead character, um, and I, I like that about it, and that it kind of feeds back into this narrative about this being the everyman story, like yeah. the the workaday gangster. I just yeah. I find Robert De Niro so much more compelling. Well, he's a better actor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so but that's why I probably I like Casino more than this. He's one. he's in B movie as Ray Liotta. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, okay. I've been I've been scrolling through his uh, IMDb and it's it's a mess. It's I'm not seeing anything that I'm like loving here. <laughs> well, I mean it's it's kind of strange. He was even in an Uwe Boll movie, which is like oh, no. that's like not a good not a good sign. Not a good sign. He was in 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 the name of the king. Whatever that a is. dungeon siege tale. A dungeon <laughs> siege tale. Jesus. Okay. Uh, which Burt Reynolds was in. R.I.P. Wow. He plays the king, I believe, in in that movie. Have you seen this movie? Uh, yeah, I watched it because I watched how this get made, and they, oh, okay. they did it. Yeah. It's the only Uwe Boll movie that they've done. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a yeah, that's low hanging fruit right there. Oh yeah, yeah. they haven't. Yeah, I, I, yeah. For that reason, they haven't done the others. Yeah. Uh, it's weird that he didn't get better work after this because he's good in this movie. Right, like he does a good job here. His voiceover work works. He gives a good performance. Yeah. Right, like he, especially like next to De Niro and Pesci, he holds his own. Right. I mean, he does work. Like he's in a lot of things. <clears throat> right. But it's not he's, good things. Yeah, not. not that, that, yeah, that's what I mean. It's like, why yeah. isn't he to go on to a bigger and better career? Even even. He I was mean, in uh, Killing Them Softly, which is like a that's true. Pretty it was. good movie. I remember. Yeah. yeah, you're right. That was a good movie. Um, so maybe it's just like takes whatever's available. I don't I don't know what the story is, but it feels like he could have carved out uh, a, a more prestigious career. Yeah, for a performance like this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in a movie like this was a huge, huge hit, right? Like this movie was a, a media, like immediately culturally significant. Mm-hmm. And 
So it's strange that yeah. he, even in the aftermath of it, he couldn't find something more than that. Um, but I think, returning to your point, Charles, about preferring De Niro to uh, to Leota, which you know, duh, yeah. right? Like everybody <laughs> does. Mm-hmm. I, I like how they treat that here, right? Like that, yeah. you kind of want this movie to be about you. You want more of De Niro in this movie, right? Because yeah. he's De Niro; he's just like a naturally charismatic figure. And I like that they kind of deprive the audience of that, <laughs> right? Like I, I like that it's kind of like, no, you have to hang out with this asshole, right? Like you, you, you this this movie is about this much more common much more typical kind of experience for a, for a criminal. You, you don't get the special guy. This movie is not about the exceptional criminal. This is about mm-hmm. the shitty asshole criminal that actually nobody likes, not even the other criminals. Who fucks them all over. The right, end. exactly. And I like that about it, that they, they kind of tease you with De Niro and saying, no, that's not what we're going to I guess that's true. I guess Leota's character wants to be a De Niro the whole movie, but right. he, he's just stuck with himself, just right. like we're he, stuck with him. Because he sucks. Yeah, yeah, the De Niro character here is like much more one note. Like It's the same guy. There's like no yeah. evolution to De Niro's character. Well, yeah, he gets more paranoid. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the evolution, is that he ends yeah. up becoming just kind of like this spaz that can't keep anything under control. But I think it's like a very like generous play from De Niro, because yeah. he's like easily someone that could like take over the film. Kind oh, of yeah. like what Joe Pesci does, yeah, yeah, which is like he's very loud. He's like Joe Pesci yeah. operates at one volume. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, he, yeah, he doesn't have any way of, yeah. to tone that down. Yeah. He's he's up here all the time, and it, De Niro again. He's a world class actor. He's just one of the best. So to say that you're not as good an actor as De Niro is not it's really cool. a knock. The scenes that he's in too are great. Like, even like when he doesn't talk, like yeah. when he when he's pointing his wife down the street, and he's like just a little further. He's just oh. like he just keeps pointing. Yeah. <laughs> that was a really yeah. funny and scene. it's so terrifying. It's it like, is. Uh, he just got this like warm smile on his yes. face. Yeah, that's right there. He's like looking at something else. He's like, yeah, keep going. <laughs> well, going to the shady alley. Yeah, and, the, and the, he looks in the building and like you see some like dark figures moving around in there. Yeah, yeah. it's so good. And Lorraine Brackle plays it just right, right? She Where, does. Yeah. Like she that was a pretty tense scene. Like, There's no no music or anything like yeah. that. It's just completely silent. Yeah, it's one of those situations. Oh. I mean, it's a, it's a Hitchcock-esque situation, right? Like, you know what's going on. You know the character. I've seen enough of on. these movies to know what's going on here. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And she ends up, you know, flipping anyway. Scorsese is, uh, I think one of the reasons he's successful is because there are a lot of times when you're making a movie and you're like, you set it to some music and you're like, Man, I wish we could get the rights to this song. <laughs> Scorsese always and, does. And he just like gets the rights to the songs. <laughs> yeah. yeah like, I was curious the, what you guys thought about the use of music in this one. It, it definitely um, indicates time very clearly, right? Sure. Like once they start kind of breaking bad, like that's when the Rolling Stones show up, right? Like yeah. you, you know that that's like the the turning point. And before that, it was all like Frank Sinatra and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I yeah. think he's making a really he's using music to really clearly define like the drug era and the pre-drug era. Right, like when they were, when they were gangsters and they had a code, and when they were drug dealers and they didn't. Right, yeah. and I think that he's he, he uses music for he, that effect. He knows his his like dad rock songs really well. well. Like he, he is a he is a dad. Yeah, right? like this, yeah. this is his music. Yeah, but the fact that he can get the rights to these songs is crazy. They must spend so much money on them, or he must like know the Rolling Stones. He, like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's probably true. <laughs> yeah. Well, he does, right? Like, didn't he? Wasn't he involved in their... Um, yeah, yeah some like, documentary, right? Yeah. He, like, helped shoot. That, yeah. yeah, that's probably exactly how it happened. Um, and across so many movies, too, because... Like, Casino, the Departed, yeah, yeah. The, the Departed has so many great music cues, like, yeah. just over and over again. The music in Casino is awesome. Yeah. And, yeah. So, I had a bit of Wolf a problem with the music right? feeling. Yeah. The music felt too <clears throat> obvious, or, like, you know, he picked the, yeah. like, top most, yes. like famous song possible yeah and like i know it's for a lot of people they go i love that moment with that song and like they talk about how the song like enhanced yeah. the moment so much and all that but i felt like since i was so not sold by this movie that yeah. <laughs> it like dragged down the scenes for me because the song felt so obvious and i'm yeah. like wow like he chose the most that, obvious song for this that's not that's not my issue but i, yeah. I have a similar issue where it's just like oh okay it's this like <laughs> or like oh you know yeah. like this song is just too famous and i've heard it too many times yeah i mean i went on for a while about the u2 song at the end of uh <laughs> yeah i mean that's more obviously bad yeah but it's in line with that, though. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think it's just so yeah on the nose, which you were like. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but it's that the song overpowers the scene, and I think that that's yeah. not what you want. Right? Like you look at the beginning of The Departed, mm. and it opens with "Give Me Shelter," right? Yeah. And like I don't listen to "Give Me Shelter" and think The Departed, right? Like that, that like the the movie is not outweighing the song there. Right. Whereas when every time I hear Jesse's Girl, yeah. I think of Boogie Nights. 
right? Like that, that is where the, the movie is really kind of owning the song. And I think that that is kind of the difference here, right? Like I, I heard Jesse's Girl before I saw the movie, so it doesn't do that for me. I mean, I did too, I see what but you mean. I still, like. Sister Christian. Yeah, the, that, that one too. Yeah, yeah, that one especially. No, yeah. but well, I think Scorsese, <laughs> I think he's good at knowing, like, oh, this would be cool if we said it to x-pop song yeah and, and he's right it and is he, cool. he is yeah he is cool he, he like it that does like cool. last section of layla that nobody likes yeah yeah, yeah. nobody yeah. likes the ending of layla <laughs> <laughs> yeah he probably knew clapton too that's his shit he's probably just calling up all his buddies and it's like hey can i use your song and they say yeah sure. i don't think clapton's that hard to get because Ackroyd got him for uh blues brothers too so. <laughs> <laughs> well they probably got a lot of money for blue blues brothers too like blues i don't brothers know songs. yeah you know, cheap and it's not on profitable. screen. Okay, I, I can tell you that. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I hear that. They also did use "Sunshine of Your Love." I love that song, but you make a good point about how the songs overpower the movie rather yeah, than yeah. the other way around, and that's the problem when you use songs that are like too good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Tarantino is very good at this. Yeah, right. Where he picks he picks the right song, but it's not the song that's going to be like, oh, hey, it's "Son of a Preacher Man." It's well, that, that's why "Stuck in the Middle of You" is exactly it's a Reservoir Dogs song. Now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's never going to. It's you're, every time you hear it, you're going to think of Reservoir Dogs. Or the uh, what's the song that they play in Pulp Fiction, or the, like There's the dance few. scene? Well, oh, yeah. um, the, it was a teenage wedding. That yeah, one. yeah, yeah. Um, that was Sailor like a, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. That that will always be the Pulp Fiction dancing song. Yeah, yeah. and I think that. Because he's not picking, you know, Sunshine of My Love or, yeah. you know, pick your Rolling Stones greatest hit, that it, it's easier for that to become glommed onto the movie. Yeah. 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 To, to good effect. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Closing, closing thoughts. Charles, not in love with this movie. No, I think I just don't like this kind of movie. And if I'm not sold at first, everything else falls apart. Like, you know, you guys talked about how the narrative was effective. But to me, like, since I don't care about anything that's happening on screen... I get the feeling like the character thinks that what they're doing is really important and cool, and I don't. And so I just think that the character is really arrogant and full of shit, and I feel annoyed by the voiceover. Well, he is arrogant and full of shit. Just, well, yeah, but like even yeah. more so. You just described my reaction to uh, Before Sunrise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly sums that up. Wow, yeah. there's a parallel that is not yeah. drawn very often. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I still like this movie. Um, it is not, like I've thought about it over the past you know weeks since I watched it for this. I don't think it's top five Scorsese for me anymore, but I still liked it a lot. Like he's still just a phenomenal director, and like there's a reason this movie made him famous. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still into it. I think it, it still works. Yeah, I'd watched yeah. this recently, so watching it again could sometimes be a chore for some movies, yes. and that was not the case here. Yeah, I, I liked it, and yeah. I like Casino more, but I, I think this is a great, it's a great movie. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I'll watch Last Temptation first, or even Silence. Man, that movie's good. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This this one still holds up for me. Yeah. Um, So in any case, uh, we'll be back with things we've seen. Uh, See you soon. All right, and we're back with things we've seen. Uh, Wilson, why don't you start us off this week? Sure. Um, uh, This week I watched Operation Finale. Um, This is in in the theaters currently. It's the Oscar Isaac Nazi Hunter movie. Um, So (laughs) it takes place in early 60s. It's about the hunt and eventual extradition of uh, Adolf Eichmann before his trial in Israel. Uh, Oscar Isaac plays the lead, you know, Nazi hunter guy. Um, Eichmann is played by uh, Ben Kingsley in a pretty brave role for him. Um, I liked it. It it was a good movie. Um, It seemed, it had some basic, like, pacing problems and stuff like that, but... The interesting part of it was when you eventually got Oscar Isaac and Ben Kingsley in the room at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the major tension is that they do their spycraft drama stuff at the beginning. They grab them off the street. They have them hide out in their in their hideout house in Argentina, uh, where he's been uh, stowed away. But the Israeli government is refuse, refuses to accept him back into Israel unless he agrees to submit to Israel Israeli courts. So they need. Eichmann to sign a document saying, yes, I will do that. So the major drama comes in getting him to sign that document. Um, so the most interesting parts of the movie are when it's just Oscar Isaac and Ben Kingsley in a room at the same time mm-hmm. discussing the Holocaust and Adolf's you know, complicity therein, because yeah. he, is, he is the one that most famously pleaded the just following orders defense. Yeah. He is the subject of banality of evil, 
um, that was that talks about him just being kind of this boring guy that was still capable of doing these awful things. And the, the movie kind of pushes back on this idea that he was not, in fact, just some guy that was going along with it. He was not a guy that was just, you know, into it, but not that into it. He was a true believer. Mm -hmm. And that, that is what the movie is, is playing with, mm -hmm. this idea that the evil is actually not that boring. That, that, <laughs> that, that evil can be something that is as horrifying as that you, you would think it would be. The climax of the movie comes when Oscar Isaac has told the Ben Kingsley character that his sister, who is very close with him, basically raised him, was a victim of the Holocaust. And Ben Kingsley points out that if his death is justice, then he is worth six million Jews. Right, that he that that if that is what if that is what justice looks like, then he is that much more valuable than an individual Jewish person. Um, and I wish that the movie had played with that idea more. Uh, that it had that it that if it had drawn a more stark line between death and penalty and death penalty. And even if this man deserves to die, that doesn't mean that it's the state's place to carry that out. That it doesn't mean that it, that is actually what justice looks like. And it doesn't really pull up that idea enough. Mm -hmm. um, so. It was a. It, it was worth seeing. Um, it is not a great movie, but it's a good movie. It was directed by the same guy that did Twilight New Moon. Um, so <laughs> that was which a weird, people really like. <laughs> that was a weird departure. Yeah. Um, but it's worth it just to see two great actors um, in the room at the same time. Uh, yeah. So it, it's called Operation Finale. If you get a chance, go go check it out. Um, don't rearrange your schedule for it, but um, it's it's worth seeing. It was good. Oh. Yeah. Uh, what did you guys see this week? We both. Charles and I saw The Predator. We didn't see it together, but... You I, saw the new Predator movie, I, yeah. I saw it in IMAX. I don't know how you... I saw it saw in a regular it. theater, yeah. Right. Regular IMAX. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I like this movie a lot. I thought it was super fun. I don't know what your reaction to uh, it was. I mean, like, it's a movie where I know it's really bad, objectively, but that I had a lot of fun watching. And that's, what I, went, that's what I went in going for. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was a straight-up good movie. Um, uh -huh. One thing that really surprised me about the movie is how funny it is. It was it's, really, really funny. But it's like more, almost more of a comedy than it is yeah. anything else. It's like a horror comedy film. Well, that yeah. sounds like Shane Black to me, right? Because he wrote and directed it. Right? Yes, he did. Yeah. And he, he has a lot of people with some pretty good comedy chops in this. Um, so Keegan-Michael Key is probably the most notable of that. Um, but Olivia yeah. Munn's in this. She was mm -hmm. on The Daily Show. Um, Thomas Jane, who's in The Expanse, he's also very funny. Um, and yeah, they're... they're the basic premise is that there's this sort of like group of like misfits uh, from the military who are going to be institutionalized, but then they get like entangled in the the predator. predator. <laughs> yeah, the the predator been like captured by the government, and then like it escapes, and they get yeah. kind of like entangled in that. Sure. Um, and I, I thought that was a really good choice, actually. I think the, these characters are much more interesting than the like hyper-competent military guys that we see in the first military, or first Predator. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it's a big departure. I, I like that movie. Okay, but, I was gonna but, say. but it's an important like departure, where it's right. like, this is more just kind of like a... He's not remaking it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, set, it sets yeah. it up to kind of be that way, but then it, like, it does the switch on you, mm -hmm. which I thought yeah. was clever. And it's kind of these like kind of goofy guys who are military guys and do know what they're doing, but they're not like, you know, they're not carrying like giant machine guns into the jungle. You <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, my problem with it yeah. was that I felt like there was just a certain thing about the first movie. They managed to sell the characters really effectively, right? Mm -hmm. And I felt like it wasn't done that well in this movie. I felt like I didn't really form a connection with any of the characters that well. Um, I, yeah, they just didn't have that same like charisma or charm to them in this one. Not enough biceps. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's hard to match with Arnold Schwarzenegger because he has a lot of that built-in charm <clears throat> That's true. just from his movie catalog, just from his career, and you don't get that here. And the main character, he might as well be anonymous. Like, I don't know who that actor is. The main is. character is a little bland, but I, th I think that actually helps highlight the like cast of characters around him more. Like, mm -hmm. I, I like all the, the Misfits group. Um, so, yeah, I liked... Um, what. I said this about the Meg, but I, I didn't. I don't. I don't think I like um, vocalized it well. Um, but I was like, I wish they had just like kind of gone there with the Meg, where it was like you see people die, but like it's it's not really like Ori, and actually like not that many people die in the Meg. <laughs> um, nice. And this movie is just like 
At man, least this one's like, capital R. The body count is very high, and it's very graphic when they kill people. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's very typical of Shane Black, right? Yeah. Like he, even the movies that aren't like you wouldn't expect to be violent, like have very violent moments. Right. Yeah. Like I rewatched Nice Guys recently. I'm like, there are some very explicit moments in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and one thing that's great about the film is like. You don't really see this in some of the other Predator films where you're just like, man, I just want to see the Predator just like go to town, just like fuck up a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah. And this movie, like, it's like when you see it, it like is like this is awesome. Like, <laughs> they're like re- really good action set pieces where they're in like they're in like a science lab and yeah. they have the Predator and it's been sedated and then it like it wakes up and like. I, I've some. I've seen the entire Predator canon. I've never I've, <laughs> like I've never seen the like bite somebody with their weird mandibles uh-huh. and they do that in this movie and it's like it, <laughs> oh, I don't it's, it's, it's yeah. like whoa like that's <laughs> a 20 year old yeah. it, it was it was like a lot of stuff that I'd like I feel like I've never seen before I really like this movie just let me like embracing it sort of like B movie nature right. and like doing it well in a way that like when I saw the mag I was like this could be so good if they just like engaged with it more rather yeah. than trying just to make like a CGI romp mm-hmm. Um, which is what the Meg was. Here, a lot of the stuff, well, they did use CGI. Like, f- there, It felt like there was a lot of practical stuff yeah, going on. Yeah, there is some yeah. pretty awful CGI, but yeah. There's, some in, there's enough like practical effects that yeah. didn't stand out too bad. I did feel like I wasn't that satisfied by the action in this movie, I'll admit. Like, I don't know, they just... You needed the IMAX. Maybe I did. It's just a lot of it didn't seem interesting from like an action movie perspective. Um, a lot of it felt kind of shallow, I guess I would describe it as. I don't know, it's hard to quantify. There's just a certain quality to action scenes that really gets me into it, and this movie didn't capture that. Like, it didn't feel new, you know? Well, yeah, I don't think, I don't think they're doing, like, a Fast and Furious-style, like, set piece where there's, you know, a car race through Rio. It's, yeah. it's more, it's like a much more, like, physical kind of action that they show, which I think is endemic to the character of the Predator, where it's, like, yeah. he uses, like, blades and spears and stuff to, like, kill people, and... Yeah, and they're, they're I, definitely I, I kind some of cool liked, moments. actually, how small some of the yeah. stuff is. But, but they did, like, a good job, like, with small things. Yeah. I do um, wonder if this movie... <clears throat> movie's portrayal of like neuroatypical individuals is uh not well done yeah i I felt i I was kind of on the fence about that too that was the one thing i was like uh, i don't know if i like yeah because like all the misfit characters have some sort of like mental disorder um but it's like played off as a joke Mm. uh and like the the main character's kid is. i thought you were talking about that yeah but well i mean also that i was leading into that right and the main character's kid is autistic um but they do some pseudoscience about how it might be the next step in human evolution. Yeah, I didn't. I don't know if I want to give away the main part of the plot, but like they they play into that in a weird way, and it didn't feel right. That's what I didn't like about the movie. I actually did like the sort of band of misfits guys because I think it's rare actually to show like people with PTSD on Mm -hmm. screen, and even if it's not like totally true to life, it's good to have like have main characters and and to show like Mm -hmm. kind of like. I think it engages with the military in a way that, like, most films don't. Uh-huh. And just to, like, to forefront <coughs> characters that are victims of of their military careers, yeah. I, I thought was good. And That's fair. I, I like that about it. Yeah, it's, I was just It's not like a flag-waving military movie. It's like, these people kind of got fucked up by the military. Yeah. And, yeah. I, I, I do like also that they, like, they'll undercut things that you expect the movie to do. Like... Which I think is shows like Shane Shane Black's like good writing here, where like this the main character's wife makes a speech about like what a good soldier he is, yeah. and then the other characters like all make fun of it. Yeah, like yeah. Well, because yeah, it was funny. hilarious. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's, it's that's ridiculous. Like, oh my gosh, she was such a ridiculous character. Yeah. Oh, she kept going like, oh, you mess with the wrong family and all that, and it was so funny. Yeah, and they just oh make my fun God. of her for saying that, which it is so it's great because that's like what you would say in a cheesy action movie like this. Yeah, and I like that they like, didn't take that seriously. They yeah. didn't. They played it ironically. I think yeah. that's good. And then <laughs> early in the film, uh, one of the, the main character like kind of freaks out and like yells at all the characters, and they're all like, 
they, they'll and mock they just, like, they make they fun of for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the funniest and, line was yeah. when they're first interviewing the main character after he had his encounter with the predator, and they're yeah. like, so we hear that you came out of the womb and immediately started crawling through enemy territory. <laughs> I just, like, cracked up because that was yeah. so funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also like Olivia Munn's character has a lot to do here, and it's not getting saved by men. Yeah. Um, she's, like, a very, like, proactive character. She's very competent. Um... And yeah, I, I like how this like cast like comes together. Yeah. Cool. I plan to see it because of Shane Black mostly. It's but, super um, fun. Yeah. I, I think I, I hope you like it because I think it's a really fun. Check it out. Movie and hard recommend for me. Okay. So. And a medium recommend for you. Medium recommend like I had a fun time. Okay. That's that's usually enough. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> That'll get me there. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Wilson, what are we watching next week? Uh, well, I think it's overdue that we do a. a a Nick Cage movie. Um, so we're going to watch Adaptation. Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes it is. Yeah. Adaptation it is. Um, so this is one of, uh, in a catalog of weird movies, this is one of his weirder ones. Yeah. Um, and also one of his more famous and well-regarded ones. So let's watch it. All right. Um, so thanks for listening, everybody. If you like the show, please share it with people. Find us on social media. Um, if you have any suggestions, recommendations, compliments, reach out to us. We're very, very available. And join us next week for Adaptation.